near-death experience podcast item number 266 september 1st 2019 deborah diamond life after near death miraculous stories of healing and transformation in the extraordinary lives of people with newfound power welcome to the near-death experience podcast the official podcast of the near-death experience research foundation N-D-E-R-F. I'm your host, John Messer. Documenting spiritual phenomena in a manner that is quantitative, verifiable, and reproducible is very important because we're attempting to examine a realm or realms that seemingly cannot be examined through the lens of materialism, which most scientists subscribe to today. Science today bases their beliefs that something exists only if you can see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, or hear it through our physical senses, or with an extension of our bodies with microscopes, mass spectrometers, or other such devices that are capable of seeing, tasting, touching, smelling, or hearing, or otherwise quantitating something with greater precision than our bodily receptors. Since that approach is self-limiting, the challenge is to find a way to provide evidence or proof that something which is currently seemingly incapable of being quantitated in that manner does indeed exist by, nonetheless, using the tools of materialism. That's a challenge. Taking up that challenge is today's guest, Deborah Diamond. Deborah's book is entitled, Life After Near Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers. Her book focuses on cognitive and physiologic after-effects people return with from an NDE. Her website is DebraDiamondPsychic.com. You can also find her on Facebook at Facebook slash Life After Near Death. You can purchase her book at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or by clicking the links on her website. I also have links to her website as well as her books listed in the show notes for this episode and on the Near Death Experience Podcast.org website. Deborah has an MBA from George Washington University, a graduate degree from Christie's Education, and a PhD from the Esoteric Interface Theological Seminary, as well as a former professor at the Johns Hopkins University. Deborah, welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I am so very thankful you have joined us. Oh, well, thank you, John. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, and thank you for all the work that you do. Well, you were a very successful Wall Street money manager, a CNBC commentator, and host of a radio program on CNN Radio. You left a very high-power, high-profile life to do the work you currently do. Please start by explaining how you came to research metaphysical phenomena. Hmm, that's okay. So that's an interesting question. I, you're correct. I was a, I was a money manager on Wall Street and a professor at Johns Hopkins University and a regular commentator on CNBC. When I was in the investment business, and I was in it for quite a long time, uh, I always felt like I knew things. And of course, in the investment business, the term psychic is really never used. That's not part of the nomenclature and it never came up, but I, I did always kind of feel like I, I knew things I would know about companies and products and how a stock might perform. And my boss used to say to me, you know, Deborah, you have really good instincts. And I thought that that's, that must be it. I have good instincts. And I left it at that. Um, I, it wasn't until 2007, 2008 that I decided to take an intuition development class in New York. And I took it just because I thought it would be a fun thing to do. And I thought I have good intuition. It would just be fun to tune it up. And I live in Baltimore. I went up to New York for the weekend for this class. And in the class, there were about 25 people, none of whom I knew. And, um, we did a number of exercises on Saturday morning, and I was getting all of them. And I had I didn't know how 
how that was possible, but they were very low key exercises and I wasn't too concerned about it. And then we took a break. And when we came back from the break, the teacher said, um, now we're going to do a seance. And, you know, I looked at the uh, schedule for the day and, uh, you know, I didn't see anything about a seance. And I thought, I, you know, I was scared. I really didn't want to do that. And then I thought, well, you know, it's just Saturday morning and this class runs through Sunday afternoon. I guess I'll just do this one seance and then we'll go on to the next exercise. The teacher said, I'm going to put you in a meditative state. And uh, when you're done meditating, I'll bring you out of the meditation. And if you see anything, you see anyone, let me know. And I thought, well, that doesn't pertain to me because I'm not going to see anyone. So we meditated and the teacher brought us out of the meditation. And she said, does anyone see anything? And I looked around the room and everyone was looking at each other. And I raised my hand and the teacher said, yes, Deborah, what do you see? And I said, um, I see about 50 people. These were people who had passed. And I was seeing people from my family who had passed, relatives of mine. I was seeing people from uh, <clears throat> the um, other students in the room, their, their family members or loved ones. And then I was seeing just random people. I was very overwhelmed. I had no idea what was going on. The teacher said, uh, do you see anyone in the corner of the room? Because that's often where you're going to see these people you know, see spirit. And I said, well, I do see someone in the corner. And she asked me to describe him. And this was a man who was Hispanic, uh, dark hair, handlebar mustache, big white teeth. And I, as I described him, the woman sitting in that corner began to sob. And she said, I can, I recognize him. That's my fiance. He died two years ago. And the woman in the corner said to me, if I show you pictures of him on my cell phone during the break, would you be able to identify him? And I said, yes, because I saw him plain as day. So during the break, she came over and she flipped through some pictures on her cell phone. And I said, there, there, that's him. She said, yes, that's my fiance. He looked exactly like I, I had seen him. And... Um, she said, you know, she had been expecting to hear from him for two years. This was somebody who believed in, in uh, spirit and, you know, b believed in uh, consciousness. And she had expected to hear from him, but had not and was very disappointed. And so she was thrilled when I made this connection. And she hugged me and she thanked me. And remember, I come from Wall Street, so there are no hugs on Wall Street and there's no thank yous either. And I uh, was very overwhelmed by all of it, but I did recognize that I had done something meaningful for someone, and that did register. Um, the rest of that weekend, we did some more exercises. I was, lots of things were happening for me that weekend for which I had no explanation. Um, Sunday night, when the class was over, I drove back to Baltimore, and I called my youngest son, uh, who scores very high on logic tests and standardized tests. So I called him and I told him what happened. And he didn't say a word, but when I was all done, he said, well, that makes sense. We're just energy and the energy has to go somewhere. So I could deal with that. That was sort of a pseudo scientific spiritual kind of explanation that I could process. You know, nobody was telling me that I was seeing ghosts or he didn't deny, you know, what had happened. Uh, but uh, I, I, it made it a little easier to process, but still I didn't tell anybody what happened. And that is a very common reaction. People have, you know, these extraordinary experiences, many people have them and they don't talk about them. Or if they do, their family members and friends say to them that didn't really happen or you'll get over it. But, um, thankfully I, I've never had that experience with my you know, with people, well, with my family anyway. So um, I didn't tell anybody though what happened and um, I kept it to myself. And then um, several months later, I decided to go out to Taos, New Mexico for the summer to paint because I'm also an artist. And I rented a place for two months and my intention really was just to go paint. And at the end of the two months, my lease was up and I said, well, I better find another place to rent because I'm not going back. And I didn't know why I felt compelled to stay there, but I did. And I stayed for a number of years. And that's where I began to work with this energy. And um, I uh, eventually uh, gave some workshops and started doing readings out there. And the thing is that 
um, I relaxed about working with the energy and in, in Taos as you know, as like some other places that are uh, energetic centers, um, this kind of experience is normalized because many people out there are, you know, high vibration. You have a lot of artists and a lot of musicians and writers and spiritual people. So I just kind of forgot about uh, the kind of re reaction I would have gotten on the East Coast uh, out in Taos when somebody says, what do you do? And you say, I'm a psychic. They say, oh, me too. You know, so yeah. it's just very natural. And so that's when I began to work with the energy and relaxed about it. Eventually, I came back east because this is where my family is, and I came back and I thought, well, that's the end of this psychic business because I'm coming east and nobody's going to be interested in this, you know, on the east coast. But that's not what happened. Um, shortly after I came back, I was approached by a woman who uh, had an NDE. She was um, 38 years old, had had a cardiac arrest was taken to the hospital, died, came back, and um, uh, she asked me if I would do a reading for her. And I said yes, and then she wanted me, you know, a friend of hers wanted a reading, and then somebody else wanted one, and somebody wanted a workshop, and that's kind of how things got started. Now, in terms of getting involved with the NDE work... Um, well, let's, let's back up a second here. Okay. What were your spiritual beliefs before all this happened to you? Um, I, you know, I think I've always been a pretty open-minded person, and I, I think I always uh, believed that there was something more out there, but I wasn't informed, and I didn't have any particular opinions as to what it was that was out there. Um, but I, you know, just always thought there's more that exists than what we can see. Were you raised in any religion? Were you a churchgoer? What, what, what did you believe? Um, I was raised in a religion, but I didn't, I didn't practice it. Um, family not particularly religious. Um, you know, I think my father was psychic. These things run in families. My father was very open-minded and, and extremely ahead of his time. I mean, uh, I can remember in the 50s, yeah, in the 50s or maybe 60s, my father said, he was an entrepreneur, and my father saying, you know, we should go to China and manufacture cars. And, you know, back then, China was, uh, people, people didn't <laughs> it was off limits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would say things like that that would just kind of come out of the blue. And I mean, he, he, I even remember him saying he dreamt about me. He saw me before I was born. I mean, I just kind of, you know, when he would say things like that, I just, just kind of accepted it right you know I didn't think anything I didn't know what psychics were and I just you know he was a creative open-minded guy but now that I think back on it I think um he was psychic I think there's some other people in my family who probably possess this and it does run in families it, it runs you know um the psychic ability you find it with people who are creative usually people who are artists and musicians and writers who are very open um, they tend to be more psychic than people who are engineers, let's say, or accountants. I mean, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization because you can't really do that. But there are many people who are psychic and um, they may not call themselves that. They don't know that that's what they, they are. But um, uh, that ability exists, I think, with many, many people. Like you were told, you just have good intuition about things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've talked to people who've said to me, you know, it's the funniest thing. I just like feel this. I get, I, you know, I, I feel like this is going to happen or I feel like uh, I know about this. And I say, okay, stop right there. When you say you feel, that is called clairsentience. You know, everybody's hear, heard of clairvoyance, but there are many clairs. And there's uh, one of the clairs is called clairsentience, and sen sentience is feeling. Clairsentience comes from your solar plexus chakra, which is your abdomen. You know, you feel it in your gut. You know, that, you know, that saying, how, you know, how do you feel about that? Or what does your gut tell you? I mean... <laughs> That's yep, yep. really a, a psychic sense. But in our Western culture, it's very much um, uh, infiltrated our Western culture because here it's perfectly normal to ask somebody, how do you feel about that? You know, so they're really tuning into a psychic ability unbeknownst to them. So looking back, are there things that now you realize when you were a little girl that give you insight that, oh, I kind of had this ability? 
I don't know, uh, I can't reference too many things from when I was much younger, but um, when I look back on it now, I realize all along that I did have this ability because um, I, I just had some skills and, and um, a way of thinking that was, I think, very different than the mainstream. So your spiritually transformative experience or ST, it blew open the door to your realization that you have psychic abilities and that had to be scary. I mean, how did you deal with it, cope with it and talk with your son? But that's a big adjustment. How did you accept it? And then from there, now let's go back to how you developed it in Taos and got to do what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, it was scary and um, I, uh, I did my best uh, to ignore it. (laughs) That's how I dealt with it. I mean, it happened over a weekend and then I came back to Baltimore and I pretty much um, shoved it under, you know, under the covers and uh, because I, I had no one to talk to about it and I didn't even know exactly what it was. So, um, but looking back on it now, I realize that um, what I thought was a conscious decision to go to Taos was really, I think, being led by spirit and I feel like for most people, if they can listen and pay attention uh, and be open, that they will, um, you know, progress down whatever path they're meant to go down. You know, listening and paying attention and then ultimately taking those steps, those are the hard parts. Um, but when I look back on it, I, I think it was um, not accidental that I ended up in Taos. I think it was very intentional. And uh, the fact that I ended up staying there, I mean, I just felt like I'm supposed to stay and I stayed. And if I hadn't done that, uh, my life would have looked very different. I would have come back and I would probably still be in the investment business. You know, once once I was out there, I didn't uh, I I just wasn't afraid of it anymore. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so you came to cope with it, accept it. How did you develop it? I took a lot of classes. Um, and training. I mean, I think people, you know, television and movies does a great injustice to um, psychics and mediums because I think many people feel that, oh, you know, if you're a psychic or medium, you just like turn on some switch and and all the answers to the universe come to you. And that's really not how it works. We have to train just like you have to train. I mean, you come from a medical background and you train for that. And the same thing with psychics and mediums. Um, I trained at a variety of places. I went to the Arthur Finley College of Mediumship in uh, the UK, and that's been around for probably about 100 years. Um, And I trained at many other places when I was out in New Mexico and Colorado and on the West Coast. So I had a lot of training. And, um, And when I was in Taos, you know, the way I started out was I would do practice readings on people. You know, it took a number of years to get to the point where it's sort of like an internship and in residency, right? You know, in medicine, you know, you, um, you know, I had my own internship and in residency until I got to the point where I felt like um, I was, I had some training under my belt. Like any skilled practice, if you want to get good at shooting free throws, go out and shoot free throws all day. Yeah, I tell my students that all the time because when I have a class, you know, sometimes people are frustrated. They're like, oh, I should be able to do this. And I say to them, look, you know, if I handed you a a concerto and said, here's the piano, go sit down and play it. You've never taken a piano lesson. Would you be able to do that? I mean, you know, but if you went off and practiced for five years, you know, came back, you'd be able to do it. This is no different to practice. Let's talk about those who have returned from an ND with special powers and we need to throw in a disclaimer here. Many times the stories of near-death experiences and returning with special abilities sounds like rainbows and lollipops. <laughs> some people romanticize them. The reality is that some NDEers have very dark experiences they don't wish to talk about. Experiences like visits from menacing people from the other side or being taken to realms at night where they're asleep. Uh, Dark realms they'd rather not acknowledge or talk about even. So what advice can you give to those people who say, well, I wish I could have a near-death experience? Yeah, I I think, you know, many people feel like, you know, NDEs have been romanticized by, uh, again, by movies. You know, they lend themselves very well to the visual media. Uh, you know, being able to show um, the afterlife, heaven, you know, beautiful landscapes. 
Um, and so people say, geez, you know, that looks beautiful and wonderful and my life's not that great. So this will probably solve all my problems. You know, the reality of the NDE is, um, you know, really you're just kind of substituting certain issues that you may have for a different, a different set of issues. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to make it any more or less than what it is. Um, one of the difficulties of, uh, having an NDE is, people come back from NDEs with their energy altered and they have uh, what I would describe as like heightened consciousness. And while that all sounds wonderful, the reality is that we live here on earth and we are built as human beings, you know, as a physical material body, uh, not as a, you know, pure vessel of consciousness. And, you know, so trying to navigate the earth when you have enhanced consciousness can be tricky. And that's one of the, um, I think, biggest issues for NDEers or for people even who've had spiritually transformative experiences. Their, their sensitivities are raised, things that they, they used to um, do that sort of um, define their life are no longer maybe interesting or even comfortable for them. Uh, they, they, their jobs may no longer interest them. They don't want to go to the bar with their friends and hang out. It's just, you know, things that are of lo- a low vibration, uh, like going to a bar uh, or a, or the news. Lots of people don't watch the news anymore because it's too distressing. Uh, lo- that's a low vibration. Um, uh, people who return from these experiences are coming back with a high vibration themselves and they're seeking a lifestyle that is also, uh, co- that also consists of uh, high vibration. And those kinds of experiences might be spent spending time in nature, listening to music, meditating. And that all sounds great, but the reality is, you know, most people have to earn a living and have people around them and go to offices and things like that. So it, it can get very difficult and tricky to navigate. Uh, so listeners, also, uh, be, listeners beware if you're wishing for an NDE. Yeah, you don't, you don't want one. Uh, you, and I think most people who have NDEs would tell you that. I mean, it's not all butterflies and, and roses. And again, I think you're just substituting one set of issues for now a different set of issues. You've noticed that there seems to be a turning point, a particular time when NDEs can occur for a person. What have you observed about that? Well, it's, it's really interesting, John, because, um, you know, before I started doing the work, I didn't know, I knew as much as you did, right, you know, about NDEs, and I just knew that they were these phenomena that happened to people. Um, but once I started doing the work and, and uh, working with people, uh, the, the experiencers who are in my book, Life After Near Death, um, I did readings for all the people who were um, interviewed for, uh, for my book. And I did readings for them because I'm a psychic medium and I can do readings. And uh, also because there were questions that they had and I had that couldn't be answered any other way. You couldn't give them a questionnaire and expect an answer for questions like, who were the beings of light that I met? Or why didn't I have a life review? I did conventional research with them. Uh, we interview, I interviewed them and they did fill out questionnaires, but the last step was doing a reading. And I found there were certain patterns that existed in these readings. Many of these people came from lives that were referenced by darkness. Um, they had difficult lives, many of them for uh, an extended period of time. And it seemed as if the NDEs happened when the, it was almost like the universe would step in and say, okay, this person has gone through the initiation long enough. Now they're ready for the event. And uh, this is not, you know, uh, listeners beware. You cannot give yourself an NDE. You know, it seems to be in the hands of the universe. And I feel like the universe looks at people. They look, this may sound crazy, but I feel like they look at people and they evaluate them and they think who would be a good candidate to be a missionary for the light. And who's a better candidate than somebody who's been through darkness for a long period of time. So, you know, they, it seems like these people go through these extended periods of darkness and, and then the, the universe intervenes and they have their NDE and then they come back and they are missionaries for the light. I would say about a hundred percent of these people 
come back and they know they many of them know that they have a mission some of them know what it is and others don't but but all the missions seem to be related to distributing the light you've touched on a lot of things i want to get into but i want to talk a little bit about evelyn she was one such case where she was asking for intervention from the universe and indeed she got it tell us about her case and her codes and uh, yeah yeah formulas so so this particular person had a very uh difficult life and um one day she she was living in chicago and she went to the um temple in uh, wilmot illinois and um when she was there she stepped out she was having problems at the time with her boyfriend and some other problems and she stepped outside and she said god if there's anything else out there show it to me right now i'm not taking another step forward unless you show it to me and within several hours she was in the hospital and uh you know she was very ill and she if I remember correctly, kidney stones, I think kidney stones. That's right. Thank you. So she had kidney stones. She was very ill. They called her parents and the doctor said, you know, why didn't anyone, why isn't this on her record? You know, that she's had some medical problems and they said, well, she's never had any medical problems, but she um, had an NDE while she was uh, in the OR. And um, when she, came back after that, she started to receive codes of um, quantum formulas that were being sent to her. Now, the thing is, she's a former hairdresser, so she has no background in quantum physics, but she has now 32 bins of paper in her bedroom closet filled with these quantum physics downloads. She doesn't know what to do with them, um, but she continues to get them. And um, she's not the only person to have this experience. There are other people that I've talked to who've had, um, you know, enhanced mathematical powers. So um, that is one of the after effects of an NDE. Now, if you've had an NDE and you're not getting quantum physics downloads, that's fine. I mean, I think people, you know, sometimes think, geez, you know, I, I guess I'm supposed to be getting that as well. And that's really not how it works. Some people get one after effect, some get another. Um, so I'm getting all, none. Well, all NDEs come back transformed, but they may yes. not come back with a superpower, but they all come back transformed with heightened uh, consciousness. We're talking with Deborah Diamond, author of Life After Near Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers. You have put together a wonderful collection of evidence of people coming back from their NDEs with quantifiable abilities that really helps show that the spirit realm can be, at least in some ways, proven to exist. Or at least to show that materialism is ill-equipped to study the spirit realm. These include Ken's significant change in his hearing abilities after his NDE, Robert's eyesight going from 2090 to 2010 after his NDE, Marianne's IQ going from 123 to 145 after her NDE, this kind of reflects along what neurosurgeon Dr. Evan Alexander said in his Proof of Heaven book, where three months after having his neocortex eaten away by his E. coli infection, he was operating again with more knowledge than he ever had in his life. In your book, Anna's poetry pouring out of her, uh, Anna saying how she knows from the depths of her being that the poetry is pouring out of her and it is not her. It's coming through her. How many times have we heard that from musicians who will say the same thing about a song they wrote? I, I didn't write it, it came through me. Your book is worth reading for these studies alone. Which one is your favorite or a couple of your favorites? Jeez, mm. um, that's, that's a hard question. I'm not sure I have a favorite, but um, I have, I mean, I have several. So uh, one that, you know, was so interesting to me was uh, Robert, uh, Barr, who you referenced, whose eyesight went from uh, 2090 to uh, 2010, better than perfect vision. But his story was so interesting because he was a guy who was a, he was a former policeman, a cop in South Central LA. He used to gas people and beat people. He was in the riots at Berkeley and he, you know, he, his, his territory in LA was a very difficult, you know, area. And um, 
when he was, uh, he went, actually he was visiting his son in Arizona, you're in Arizona. He flew out to Arizona at, to visit his son for a week's vacation. And he had a lovely time. And when the visit was up, his son took him to the airport. And he said, uh, um, Robert said, you know, I just wasn't feeling that well. But he, you know, he thanked his son for the lovely week. And he got out of the car and he went into the airport and he said he just didn't feel that well, but he John Wayne it, you know, through and he got on the plane and he dropped dead. And he said, luckily, there were some um, EMTs on the plane and they revived him. And he, he went to the hospital and he lived, but he did have a heart attack. But during his NDE, he was shown all the things that he had done in his life uh, that were, uh, you know, not so... The consequence of his work. Yeah. And, and he heard what some of the people had said about him behind his back. He, you know, he, he was able to see a lot of things. And he came back from his NDE and he said... I just want to do good. I just want to do good. He was completely and utterly transformed. And um, he moved to Oregon and he uh, coaches a little league team and he does not-for-profit work. And, you know, he's this amazing person, pillar of the community. I think he actually won a community award. Lovely guy, but um, he was on a program, I believe, on the Discovery Channel and uh, about his NDE. And before he was on the show, they wanted him to take a physical because, you know, they wanted to check out everything that he'd said and verify it. And his eyesight was tested. So he had had his eyesight, his vision checked before his NDE, and it was 2090. And after his NDE, when it was checked, it was 2010. So it's better than perfect vision and it's still going strong you know, years later. So I think that's a remarkable story. And then, you know, another really interesting story is um, Rajiv Parti. And I think many people know who he is. He's written a number of books. Uh, he does healing work. But he used to be a, um, uh, an anesthesiologist. He was an anesthesiologist at uh, Bakersfield Heart Hospital in Bakersfield, California. And he was a typical heart-charging physician uh, he would drive to work in one of his many cars. I think he had a Mercedes and he had a Hummer and he had a BMW and he'd get up at six in the morning and would be driving to work. And if anybody tried to cut him off, he'd go after them and he'd be on the phone with his stockbroker and on the phone with the nurses in the OR, you know, very type A guy. And uh, one day he and his wife were at home and he got a call from his doctor and the doctor said, I've got some news for you. You have prostate cancer. So Rajiv had an operation. Well, he subsequently had, I think he had in total six operations for, this, for the cancer. And um, by the time he had, he'd had the sixth operation, he was also addicted to pain pills and on antidepressants and the cancer uh, was, was advancing. Um, he was scheduled for a seventh operation and uh, he actually went into sepsis and was ambulance to the UCLA Medical Center where he was operated on. While he was on the operating table, he, he had an NDE and he saw his sister and his mother in India uh, drinking tea. His sister was wearing a green shirt and blue jeans and his mother was wearing a red sari. And uh, he came back, you know, after the operation, he, he came out of anesthesia and few days after that, he called his mom or his mom called him and, and he said, you know, he told her what happened, that he had seen this. And she said, well, you're right. You know, at the time that you were having your operation, that's what we were doing. We were having tea and we could, that's what we were wearing. So he, he, within a few days, he was cured of cancer. He was off of his pain medication. He was cured of depression. He sold his 15,000 square foot house, moved into a smaller house. He sold his cars and bought a Prius <laughs> and he quit his medical practice. And uh, he's written a number of books about his experience and he does healing work now. He's a medical guy, you know, background like yours. So, I mean, you know, that transformation is pretty stark. I mean, it's, you know, remarkable. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's another interesting 
story and example, but there's so many of them, you know, and now I speak to, I've probably talked to and heard thousands of stories at this point of NDEers and STEers, spiritually transformative experiences. There are thousands of them out there. And I think what's happened is, you know, you mentioned Eben Alexander, Prior to his book coming out, you know, when I was writing my book, I actually went on Amazon and counted the number of books about NDEs that had been written since 1975, which is when Raymond Moody's book was written. Raymond Moody coined the term near-death experience. And I think there were something like 70 books that had been written from 1975 to 2015. Then Alvin Alexander wrote his book. And since then, the market's been flooded with books because I think people feel like, well, you know, if he could tell his story, I, I'm going to tell mine as well. So now there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of books about this now. It really opened up the door. And I think it's a good thing because, um, you know, it's helped a lot of people who haven't been able to talk about this experience. You know, they're now more able to, to speak about it. And, um, it's a good thing especially the medical personnel i i deal with a lot of those folks and because of our training we tend to not believe this is a reality but more and more are seeing things and understanding things differently so um i had one nurse in particular kathleen with an l-e-a-n when you hear this please give me a call get a hold of me through the website i love your book i think it's well written and the stories Everyone, you should go out and buy this book. I get the Audible version of it. It came out. Your yeah. book is available now on Audible, isn't it? It is available on Audible. It just came out last week, and I'm reading it. So that was an interesting and, and fun experience. So it's available on. Um, uh, it's it's available as a paperback, as a Kindle, and uh, on Audible. Audible.com. Yeah, and it's also available, um, you know, in bookstores. So you can buy it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, IndieBound. And, I'm sure and you have links to that on your webpage, and I have links to all Deborah's information and in her books on our website. I love the book, but another thing I love about it, Deborah, is that you're a clairvoyant medium, and in doing the research, like you you said you have a session with the NDE or so they can talk to spirit and get a better understanding of what happened during their NDE. Who are the spirit guides you connect with? Are they your guardian angels? Is it God? Please elucidate. Hmm. Um, I, you know, different people, every medium and psychic is different. We're all individuals. All of us are different. Um, some people connect with a particular guide or voice or uh, energy. Um, I don't. I am more, uh, I'm just open. And uh, I'm, when I do a reading, I just kind of, it's almost like a transistor radio. I kind of turn the switch so I'm on a certain station and then I'm open. And for me, it's sort of like um, a movie. You know, I am clairvoyant, but I'm also clair cognizant i'm clairsentient i'm clair um uh, you're omni clair <laughs> um i you know i have all the clairs i can hear i can feel i can touch i can taste i can sense so i have all the clairs so it's like going to you know like one of those um imax movies you know i'm able to see and hear and all of that um it's not there's no particular guide or, or spirit that's bringing me the information. I'm just an open channel. And it just comes through. It just comes in. Yeah. It's all work. I love how the end years get to ask questions of their spirit guides uh, to better understand what's gone on and their after effects. Uh, the responses from spirit that you give in your book are some of my favorite parts. If I can give an example, when asked why are they given a choice to return if they wish, spirit responds with a very enlightening quote, making the choice interactive causes the experiencer to own the outcome. They must take responsibility for their lives going forward and live in the accordance with the universe once the choice to return has been made, unquote. That's not an easy thing to do, but I think you help them when you do what you do. Thank you. Um, you know, I've been told by so many people 
that I've changed their lives. And um, I'm not doing anything. I'm just a channel, you know, uh, I'm available and I'm, you know, for people who've had these experiences or, and, and I read for other people as well as NDEers and STEers, but I'm just a channel and that information spirit is, is available to people. They can't always get in touch with spirit on their own. So that's what people like myself are here for. Um, but, you know, I feel like NDEs are learning experiences. I mean, I just wrote a book and we're going to talk about that too the next time you and I chat, but I just wrote a book about uh, Diary of a Death Doula about uh, sitting bedside at hospice with people who are dying. And there's a big difference between an NDE and somebody who is uh, physically uh, transitioning. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different thing. NDEs are, I believe, a teaching experience, a learning experience, because these people are coming back and they it's like being shown the previews to a movie, you know, they're shown sort of these highlights that are memorable to them and are, are specifically formulated for them so that when they come back, they are rejuvenated. Uh, you know, they have this mission and um, it's a, it's a very interesting, you know, it's, it's just such an interesting event. And um, it seems to be very intentional on the part of the universe. Um, now, the people who, you know, when they uh, ask questions, as I said earlier, they, in the readings, um, there are questions that they just couldn't answer. You know, many of them, a theme that came up quite often was, why didn't I have a life review? So we asked that question in, in readings. And the answer we got was oftentimes uh, there was not a person that was so meaningful in their life to give them a life review. The life reviews are typically administered by a person who was so significant in your life that you would listen to them. You know, oftentimes like a grandmother, you know, who was so important in your life. Uh, you would listen to them and it, whatever they said, you really took it to heart. It really impacted you. But in some people's case, they didn't have anybody, you know, they had parents who were maybe not engaged and they didn't have anybody else. So if they didn't have someone to someone to fit the bill, you know, oftentimes they didn't have a life review. And I have to say that not every element of the NDE is experienced by everyone. You know, some people have there are 16 elements and some people have all 16 and some people have none. There are people who have none and it doesn't affect the quality of the NDE. It's just, uh, you know, there's just a range of, of experiences. And quite often young children who have an NDE do not experience a life review probably because there's not much of a life there to review. Yeah, that's correct. I think that's correct. We're talking with Deborah Diamond, author of life after near death. Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers. One of the things I want to talk with you about is love. This seems to be underlying just about everything that I can find out about NDEs. In your book, when Marissa asked of spirit, why was I told the answer was simplicity? Why was I given that message? Spirit replied, if there is one thing that exists in all dimensions and yet at the same time in one dimension, that is love. It is simplicity itself. It contains everything. The one thing that contains all with a capital A, that's the simplicity part. And when she asked, what was the love I encountered? It felt like nothing I've ever experienced. Spirit replied, when we're free of our physical body, we exist as perfect energy. Here on earth, we call that perfection love. It exists over all. It's benevolent and doesn't judge. It's the purest form of all, with a capital A. While it may be another property, we call it love. NDEers, Deborah, they seek out the higher vibrations that they feel. They seek out this kind of a feeling. They'll use meditation, drugs, hemi-sync recordings, chanting, deep prayer, any technique they can try to get closer to that higher energy. What recommendations can you make for those who wish to raise their energy level up but not experience an NDE? And what do you do yourself to stay grounded? Well, you know, meditation is obviously the, the best thing that we can do to raise our vibration. And, um, 
you know, I recommend that to everyone for people who have difficulties meditating, and many people do. Um, you mentioned hemisync. These these uh, meditations, you can even find them online on YouTube. Many of them now are embedded with the binaural beats, which uh, binaural beats were uh, developed by um, the Monroe Robert Institute. Monroe, yeah, right, and uh, the Monroe Institute in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. And um, binaural beats are uh, when a hundred hertz are put into one ear and 104 hertz are in your other ear and the brain interprets that differential, the four hertz, as a meditative state. So these binaural beats are embedded now in many meditation CDs, so it makes it a lot easier to meditate because your brain is getting a certain signal. So I, you know, I think meditation is always good. I mean, I find for myself, um, being in nature is very, it's a very high vibration. I find it um, perfect for me. Um, and that's something that I, I do every day. I walk in nature and I'm careful when I'm walking in nature to walk on the earth. I don't walk on a sidewalk. I don't walk in the street. I walk on the earth. So I think that's, that's something that I would recommend. Um, music. Um, I, I myself need a lot of quiet and, um, uh, you know, away from low vibration distortions of, you know, sort of everyday life. So I, you know, I, I also try to eat. I mean, I think these are, these have become more common things now. Um, I, I uh, eat um, a vegetarian diet. That's also very common for NDEers or people who've had spiritually transformative experiences. Um, drink a lot of water, you know, all, all those sorts of things that are becoming, I think, more, more commonplace now. But what works best for me is being in nature and, and quiet. That's, that sort of reconstitutes me. Let's talk about mission. So many NDEers come back with a sense of mission. They don't know what it is. Some do. They discover it. What can you tell us about discovering mission even before we have an NDE? You know, I think everybody is seeking uh, what, what's their life path. You know, I think you get to a certain point and, and people want to, people are looking for meaning. You know, they're searching for meaning in their lives. They might not describe it as mission, but, you know, they they want to do something with their life that maybe is a little bit more meaningful. Um, and again, I would go back to this idea of listening I think, you know, all of us have guides with us. All of us have angels with us. Not all of us listen to them, but we all have them. And if you could just start to tune in and listen, you know, you will be guided. You will get, you know, you, you might sense it. You might feel it. You might hear it. But you might think, you know, I should maybe do this or I should do that. That's coming from our, our guides. Um, but you have to listen. It takes practice. So for all your listeners who are listening to this podcast, I don't want them to think that I don't want anyone thinking, oh, my God, I, I can't do this. You know, I tried yesterday or I've been trying for a month and it's not working. Give it time. It takes a lot of time. It takes practice. Um, it's listening to your intuition. Intuition is nothing but a low form of psychic ability. So, you know, listen to it. And you will eventually be guided, you know, maybe not to the degree of an NDE, but look, you know, you don't necessarily need or want an NDE. But you're correct that NDEers do come back. They do return with the sense of mission. And theirs is really, it's a whole other um, idea of mission than, you know, what we might call on, what we might call mission on earth. These people you know, are using their abilities. If they have abilities that they return with, they, many of them use those abilities to transmit the light. So for example, a musician that's may, may use their newfound musical talents to um, impact an audience. And mu music is a very high vibration experience. So it might be through music. It might be through art. Art is the same thing. It's a very high vibration experience. Not everybody, though, returns with something that can be translated to the masses. So, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't work for everybody. Um, but, you know, I, I'm finding in, in my work, there are more and more people who are becoming um, trained in Reiki and body work and, you know, all sorts of uh, alternative um, uh, modes of healing. And all of those are 
versions of spreading the light, right? Changing so, the vibration. Mm-hmm, yeah. They're instruments of light. So uh, I think, you know, that's available for everyone. You don't have to be an NDE or to do that. You know, I think that's, that's a wonderful way to lift up our, our earth. Would someone who's trying to better understand their sense of mission, would they be uh, possibly helped by having a, a reading by yourself or someone like yourself? Yeah, you know, I, I read for many, many people who um, are trying to clarify what their their life path is, um, you know, what their mission is. I mean, I'm a psychic and a medium, and there's a difference between the two. All mediums are psychics, not all psychics are mediums. Psychics are able to retrieve information from the universe about things that affect all of us, our health, our relationships, our careers, money, um, you know, those sorts of things, life path. Mediums connect with people who have passed, our loved ones who have passed over. So they're two different things. And I, I can do both in a reading. I can do mediumship and, and you know, and work with psychic uh, information. And I do that for many people. I also do medical intuition. So all of those are available to people, you know, in a, in a reading. Um, I also connect with pets. I mean, oftentimes in a reading, a pet will come in. So, um, and that's part of mediumship. That's very special for those who have lost their family members that we call pets. <laughs> yeah, pets are definitely part of the family. Deborah, with your eclectic education and your extensive interactions with spirit, can you help us get a better understanding of the big picture? How everything I think comes the together? The universe unifies us, and I think that there are greater forces at work that are energetic that we do not understand. Um, you know, our lives on earth are defined by uh, the material world. And I think you said at the beginning of the broadcast, you know, things that we can see and touch and taste and smell, you know, that's how we define our lives on earth. But there's so much more that goes on in the invisible world. Mm -hmm. um, and those are in the realm of the universe that, you know, we really don't understand, you know, and even myself as a psychic and a medium, I, I you know, have access to you know maybe a broader brush than others but there's still so much out there that's infinite you know the the universe is vast and infinite and beyond infinite and we don't have the tools to understand them certainly science doesn't have the tools yeah. um or the vocabulary to understand any of that that's why i really appreciate being able to talk with and read from someone like yourself the after effects of NDEs are permanent and can be drastic. They are certainly life altering. You note one study in your book, 65 plus percent get divorced. They experience deep depression. Some of them commit suicide. They lose their families, many of them their friends, their jobs. They can no longer relate to our earthly world with one foot here and one foot in the universe. And they're looking for others who have undergone spiritual transformative experiences. So. What organizations do you recommend for people who have had an NDE or an STE where they can turn to find support to help them cope with their new lives? Mm -hmm. Well, there, you know, fortunately, there are a number of organizations now that can help people. They're sort of like 12-step uh, programs or support groups. Um, one of them is IONS, the International Association of Near-Death Experiencers, and they're all over the world. And they have um, oftentimes local branches in many cities and towns, so you can go online and Google them. Um, there's another organization, ASSIST, A-C-I-S-T-E, and that's the um, Association of Spiritually Transformative Experiences. So those are both good places to start. And of course, there's so many Facebook groups now and online sites about near-death experiences that didn't even exist, you know, five years ago. So there's lots of information. There's also, you have to be careful because there's also a lot of disinformation. You know, with the Facebook groups, I, I see lots of people on there, many of whom have never had an NDE, informing others, you know, about what, what the experience is. So you have to be very careful with that. But you know, a good place to start is with these groups. And there are books, you know, many books available now. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, maybe start there. Make sure that the books are um, uh, valid, you know, because 
there's a lot of books out there now. But um, uh, I think, you know, there's, there's much more information. Fortunately, there's much more information available now and much more, um, many more open channels so that people don't have to feel like they're alone if they've had one of these experiences. There are others that they can talk to. Certainly going to your website, I'm going to try and keep my website up to date with more information and try and keep it as objective as possible. Okay, how can people get a hold of you? What's your information? How can people contact you? Yeah, the best thing is to go on my website, which is DebraDiamondPsychic.com. Um, and they can, um, there's a contact page there. They can reach out to me through my website. Um, I have several Facebook pages. I have a Deborah Diamond author Facebook page, and um, there is a Facebook page for life after near death. So there's several pages there, and um, they can also email me at diamond.debra at gmail.com. And I, and I do readings for people all over the world um, because we have these wonderful tools now, Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, and energy is non-local, so um, you don't have to sit in a chair next, right next to me to have a reading. I think many people don't understand that. I think they think you have to be physically right there, but you don't. You're going to have the same result uh, whether you are two feet in front of me or, you know, halfway around the world. So, and I think people who've had readings with me that are long distance remote readings, they get that after the first couple minutes. I think sometimes they, they're not sure. And then after the first five minutes, they're like, okay, this is fine. This is great. You know, keep going. So it's, it's the same reading. So, um, uh, and, I, and I would say probably 90% of the people I read for are um, elsewhere. And that includes, I mean, I people in Australia, New Zealand, the UK. I mean, I just read for someone yesterday from Italy, um, India, you know, they're all over the world, West Coast, East Coast, so Canada. Um, so those are, you know, all different ways to reach me. And I do, as I said, the psychic readings, mediumship readings, medical, medical intuition. And I'm also available for consultation. And what is a consultation? Those are for people who've had maybe some sort of experience, but they're not quite sure what happened and they just need to talk to somebody, um, you know, talk it over. And, and in those consultations, there might be a little bit of psychic or mediumship work done, but it's not a complete psychic or, or mediumship reading. And I can say to the listeners, having experienced what I have with Deborah, getting ready for this podcast, uh, talking with her, emailing back and forth, she's very loving, very giving, very generous of her time. And I thank you for that, Deborah. Thank you, John. It's my pleasure. Finally, it seems you had another turn in your life that has led you to write another book. You spoke a little bit of it earlier. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, I, so I have a new book coming out October 25th. It's called Diary of a Death Doula, 25 Lessons the Dying Teach Us About the Afterlife. Many people do not know what a death doula is, uh, but they are familiar with the term birth doula. Birth doulas are, are people, they're midwives, they're people who aid uh, women in uh, delivery and delivering a, a new life into the world and death doulas assist people who are leaving the world who are transitioning so doulas bookend both parts of life um, as a death doula i sit bedside with the actively dying in the last 24 to 48 hours of life um, because i am a medium as well as a death doula i'm able to see both sides not all Death doulas, obviously, are mediums, but I am. So that's something that, um, you know, I'm able to, to see. And um, these would experiences... You be, would, would you be willing to come and do a show with me and talk about that book in detail? I would love to do that. I, that absolutely. If listeners go to your Facebook page, I think you actually provide an excerpt from your new book. I do. Um, we uh, have a, uh, it's the preface and the introduction to the book. So it sort of grounds everyone in what is a doula and how did I get started with this work? And, and um, you know, people have said that they've really loved the excerpt. So I would urge you to, uh, you know, go online and to uh, download that. If you can't find it, please email me and I'll send you an excerpt. And I've read it. 
I've had friends who've read it, positive, positive results. People have already pre-ordered the book because of what they've read in your excerpt. Thank you. Thank you so much, so much, Deborah. My pleasure, John. It was a delight. And we'll talk again soon. Namaste. Namaste to you. My sincere thanks and appreciation goes out to Deborah for her time and for agreeing to come back and discuss her new book. That episode will be number 267, and I will have that available in the next few days. All Deborah's contact information, as well as links to purchase her book, are on the Near Death Experience Podcast.org website. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you would like to help support it, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash ndecast. When you do, it is really appreciated. Join our Facebook group. Follow us there and on Instagram and Twitter as well. If you'd like to contact me regarding the podcast, all contact information and media links are on the Near Death Experience Podcast.org website. Thank you so very much for listening. Until next time, this is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude, and our attitudes should always be love.